He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad! Oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys, Jim Woodward with you here on a Wednesday. Myself, Sam, we're out here at Karsten Creek. Taylor's in Muskogee, caddying oh. an APT tour event this, this afternoon. This is beautiful. This is uh, pretty great. We've got Bob Tway coming on later in the show, so everybody yes, stick around for that. Talk a little PGA with the former PGA champion. Uh, yeah, out here at Karsten Creek. It's a beautiful day, Woody. I'm sure you've spent a day or two at Carson Creek in your time. Well, you know, a funny story for you, a little trivia. I have not spent that much time at Carson Creek. When I was going to school there, we were still playing at Lakeside Municipal. That was our home golf course, believe it or not. It, they've come a long way at, at OSU since I played golf there. But here's your trivia question for you. And you guys didn't get it right. Most people wouldn't. Uh, the first people to tell Mike Holder about that property was not Boone Pickens. It was not an, anybody that you might think it was. It was Britt Harrison, who was another guy on our team, and myself. And the reason we knew about it is that lake you're looking out over that is so pretty. Well, let me tell you something. During duck season, there is a bunch of ducks come into that lake, and <laughs> fishing is phenomenal. There are some big bass in that lake, and it used to drive my colder crazy that we would go hunting and fishing, and we liked it more than golf. So, <laughs> actually, the first people to talk about Karsten Creek, but it wasn't Karsten Creek, it was owned by a doctor at that time that was a big alumni of OSU. I wish I could tell you his name. I apologize for not knowing his name. But he owned that land, and we told Coach about it and said, Coach, this, this property is absolutely gorgeous, and the rest is history, as they say. Boom. Wow. That's wild. That's wild. Yeah, we're sitting here looking out over the lake right now. 18 green, 17 on the other side, 16 green. 17 is a great hole, by the way. I was talking to one of the spotters down here, and they've got the pin kind of perched on that little ridge on 17 green. And spotter came over oh. to me, and he's like, he's like, do you know what the deal with that pin is over there? I keep. It. There seems like there's a lot of three putts for that green, more so than in days past. I'm like, yeah, they've got it on that ridge right there. And I guarantee <laughs> you those golf balls are funneling away. But, Sam, you watched some great golf uh, down at Lakeview in Ardmore yesterday. Yesterday, 3A state championship. You were down there, watched uh, Ryder Cowan hoist the individual trophy, and Christian Heritage got the state championship as a team. So, seemed Absolutely. like it was a great event. Dude, it was awesome down there at 3A state. I, I got to give a big shout out to my cousin, Rod Wolfard. First year coaching golf, and he takes this team without any stars. Basically, played with four guys in the state championship because his five guy wasn't having the best tournament in the world. And, guys, he wins the state championship in his first year. Well, and you talk to them to him about this let's, afterwards. Uh, yeah, let's, let's just go hear, from hear from him. him. Yeah, yep. let's just hear from Rod, the coach at Christian Heritage, 3A Boys State Champs, locked it up yesterday at Lakeview. Here's Coach Wolfhard. And we are back here on the 73rd hole out at the 3A state championship at Lakeview Golf Course in Ardmore. And I'm here with winning coach Rod Wolfhard and also my cousin, Rod Wolfhard. Rod. I mean, dream day, right? It was a great day. We uh, started a little adversity this morning, but finished super strong. So, yeah, uh, 
back to back for the guys, but my my first one as a coach. And I mean, you had your top four guys all shooting the seventies the last two days. I mean, that's just super clutch play by them. Talk a little bit about you know their clutch play coming down the stretch. Yeah, that was the thing. We get to hole number six, and we're just kind of all over the all over the course at that time. And uh, I looked at Gavin, our only senior, and I said, Gavin, look, we're going to make 13 fours coming in. I don't care how. We're just going to figure out one hole at a time and do it. And that, that seemed like a stretch at the time, but it just kind of got him refocused and kind of got him dialed in. And we did. You know, I mean, we had birdie bogey there, but the net, 13 fours coming in. And that really, that really kind of what this team did all year. Um, we didn't have the best player in the state. But we, we did compete. We had we were several guys were medalists in different tournaments this year, so we were deep as a team. And um, to go shoot three over on the back as a team in those conditions today, the final round of the state championship, man, that's just a great honor for those guys. And then just personally, it's your first year coaching golf, and I mean, Rod, you're one for one. That's right. That's right. It was a lot of fun. Those guys made it easy. When you get a team that's that, uh, with one senior, the four juniors, um, that bunch of veterans, they've been through it before. They make it a lot of fun. And uh, it was good to be um, back in the game after a number of years. So I really enjoyed this season with this guy. They they made it a lot of fun for me. That's awesome. Rod Wolfard, head coach of the state champion CHA. CHA State Champs, that's your cousin, Sam. That's pretty cool getting the to watch Crusaders him. The uh, Crusaders get it done. Yeah, bring down the ring down there. That's pretty cool. It's one of my cool. favorite nicknames, the Crusaders. That's a pretty good one. I, it I really like that is a one. good one. But let's get to Ryder Cowan, guys, Man. because I watched all 18 holes of Ryder Cowan and Bryant Polehill battling it out yesterday. Uh, you can go back and watch some of the shots on Twitter. Yeah, at the keep- 73rd hole. Some of the, some of the video, okay. especially the shot that Ryder Cowan hit on 17 over the tree. Just disgusting. Let, Absolutely let, disgusting. Let's start from the beginning real quick. Brian Polhill comes out and birdies the first two holes, cuts the lead to one. Ryder Cowan is just so solid. He had a he, he had a mature game plan. He was going through every single hole like he was just a mature veteran with total patience, Colby. And then he gets to the back nine, makes eagle on 14, hits a six iron to about five feet, basically won in the tournament because at uh, at that time he had a two-shot lead. That gave him the four-shot lead, and then Bryant Polehill went for the green on 15 and hit it in the water. Ryder Cowan laid up on, on 15, hit it on the green on 16, 17, guys. He hit maybe the shot of the year in high school golf over this 50-foot tree to about – four or five and, feet. And you got a great video of it. It was At pretty the 73rd cool. 73rd hole on Twitter. It was a great video. It was pretty cool, but here's the deal, guys. We'll hear from him in a second, but here's the deal is Ryan Hibble just got himself another star. Yeah. This guy reminds me so much of Max McGreevy. It's crazy. He oh, has only that, a junior. He Exactly. And he has that fire. He's a little guy. He talks to himself the whole time, and he has a phenomenal short game, which not a lot of guys have in the high school ranks right now. Let's hear from Ryder Cowan. Yep, here's Ryder Cowan yesterday, and then we're going to hear from Taylor. Taylor has known Ryder for a long time. So here's uh, Ryder yesterday after winning the 3A state championship, talking to Sam down at Lakeview in Ardmore. And we're back here on the 73rd hole with Ryder Cowan, OU commit and OCS star. Now, Ryder, we just talked about it off the air, but you hit an amazing shot to put the dagger in everybody on 17 over this giant tree to about five feet. Take me through your thought process on that shot. And it's kind of the shot that won you the golf tournament. 
Yeah, I was I was walking up and I was looking at the tree because I knew I was right behind it. I mean, it was it's a big tree and I knew I had to do something special because that pin was tucked and um, hit a good shot because I knew Brian was behind me and he he was coming. I mean, he he played good all three yeah. day or all three all three rounds. So, um, but yeah, I just kind of hit a nice high spinner and ended up just below the hole about five feet and fortunate enough to make that for birdie. You had a conservative game plan all day. You made the birdie at one, then made 10 straight pars, had the bogey at 11. Um, And then I really saw the maturity in your game on 15 when you laid up and then the textbook tee shot on 16 to about 30 feet right of the pin um, to kind of seal the deal. Tell me about your game plan from today. Yeah, to be quite honest, I mean, first first 10, first nine holes, whatever, I was kind of just hitting it towards center of the green and just trying to make a putt. Unfortunately, I couldn't get it to the hole. So I uh, <laughs> uh, just left a few short right in the heart. And um, But then I got to the back nine and hit a bad drive on 10. I hit a bad second shot into the bunker and got a good up and down. I got some momentum from that. Um, and then 11, I, I had a uh, hit a okay tee shot. It was just a little short, and my chip... Uh, it was just a tad bit short, and it was kind of a slider, mm-hmm. and I ended up missing that. But um, 15 was the par four where I laid up. Um, I laid up all three days, so it was kind of just a, another another day for me. But uh, I hit a good shot and to that one. 16 um, had a good. I hit it to the center right where you needed to hit yeah. it. And I skipped 14 for a reason because it was either the shot on 17 or the shot on 14. I don't know if you know this, but Bryant had just made a birdie on 13. I did not so you were only two shots up when you hit that shot and stuffed it in there, almost made an albatross, stuffed it in there to about five feet and made eagle. Yeah. Take me through that shot as well. Yeah, so I knew, I told myself going to the uh, 14th tee, I, was, I told myself I needed to make birdie or eagle because I knew Bryant was coming. As I said earlier, but um, uh, fortunate enough, I hit it down the middle and had about, I had 200, 206, I think, 206 mm-hmm. in. And I hit a six iron to land it about, it was four inches probably. <laughs> and then the rollout's probably five, five feet and made it. Tell me a little bit about Bryant, just being your teammate throughout the year and how he, you guys have kind of helped each other um, competitively to kind of get to great heights. Oh, yeah. it's. I mean, I've played against Bryant since I've been nine years old, and uh, we've always had this competitive, uh, like, rivalry and whatever. But he's, it, he's always good to be around. He's a great teammate, great guy. I mean can't get better to be honest tell me about what tosh has meant to you and your game and you know just being your high school coach and obviously for those who don't know tosh hayes you know is a great teaching professional as well coaches uh robert streb um and many other juniors around the state just tell me a little bit about tosh tosh is great i mean he's honestly one of the best coaches in in the state um i mean he he's always there for us i mean he just wants us to be happy when we're playing golf when when you're talking to me i mean i'm sure i'm a struggle for him because i mean i come up to the tee and if i'm happy he's just making jokes or whatever but um he's great i mean he can't you can't get better that's awesome and you kind of alluded to it a little bit you're a bulldog out there and i was watching you i watched all 18 holes you remind me a lot of max mcgreevy just that fiery attitude talking to yourself obviously max mcgreevy went to OU and played for Coach Hibble. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about how excited you are to go to OU and play for Coach. Oh, it's going to be great. Um, I know all the guys there. They're all great. Um, obviously, 
it's going to be hard. I mean, <laughs> there's so many good players now, but uh, I'm excited to get there and hopefully win a natty. <laughs> Absolutely. And today you won a state championship, and it's only your second state championship because of the COVID year. How does it feel to be a state champion? I mean, it feels nice. Last year I lost to Drew, and it was it was rough. Uh, I was not happy. But I mean, you, when you're losing to Drew, I mean, Drew's one of the best players. <laughs> I mean, what? I mean, he's played all year for OU, and he's rookie of the year probably, or whatever it yep. is. Yep. I mean, it's just great. But um, it feels good now. I mean, now that I've got one under my belt, and I don't know, kind of speechless. When will we see you next this summer? Um, after this, I'm going to the team TaylorMade Invitational. It's in Jupiter, Florida. And then I'll probably, I, I'm going to um, Wyndham, and then I will go to Western Junior in Chicago. So. Awesome. Well, good luck this season. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's Ryder Cowan, 3A state champion yesterday at Lakeview. Also a University of Oklahoma commit. Now, Taylor, you've known Ryder for quite some time. Uh, what is it like now? You've seen him grow up and kind of, I mean, turn into one of the best juniors in the country, and now he's a state champion. I know you commit. It's a pretty cool story. Well, I mean, guys, you, we're obviously looking at the golf game and saying I got to see a first-hand experience yesterday just how talented he is. But you know, just listening to that interview right there, I feel like I'm listening to a PJ Tour player or someone who's, you know, 25, 30 years old. I mean, he just sounds so much wiser than, than a junior in high school. It sounds a lot better than I did as a junior in high school. I know that, and probably all of us in general. So, I mean, you just can't say enough about his golf game, but how great of a kid he is and, and the promising future he has ahead of him. You know, I think that, you know, we always talk about Sam being on the Cam Smith bandwagon. Well, I've been on the Ryder Talon bandwagon right. for about as long. So, you know, hopefully he can have very similar success to that. And I, I don't know, Sam, just kind of give us, a little bit more in depth about what you saw from Ryder's game. You talked a lot about the mentality, you know, compared to the Greeny and stuff. But what did you see, like swing wise around the green stuff like that? That impressed. Just what shocked me was how good his short game was. You don't see a short game like that um, in the high school ranks. I don't know if we have the audio from Tosh Hayes, but he talked about how it's the best short game that he has ever worked with. And, I mean, he's worked, he works with Robert Streb. Of all, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, we, we do, and this okay. is a much shorter clip. So, this yeah, is let's, about just, let's hear him long. tell it. Yeah, yeah, let's hear him tell it. This is OCS coach Tosh Hayes talking about Ryder winning the state championship. Of OCS, Tosh Hayes. And Tosh, obviously it wasn't the way you wanted it to end, but you did have the top two guys in the tournament. Just talk a little bit about what Ryder Cowan and, and Bryant Polhill meant to you this year. Those guys have, have carried us all year. Um, I'm so proud of both of them, and I'm blessed I get to have them both come back. Um, Ryder, Ryder quite possibly has the best short game that I've been able to see in person. And um, Brian's ball striking got just continuously better throughout the year. And I am, I'm really lucky that they get to come back. I lose some great seniors this year. And like I told them, anything that next year's team does, they are a part of it because they have helped lay the foundation for what we do going forward. Brian Polhill, by the way, going to Kansas State. He'll be heading up there with Ben Stoller, by the way, another uh, Oklahoma golfer. 6A yesterday took place down at Jimmy Austin. Woody, you were out there. It ended up being a playoff between Norman North and Edmund North. Norman North gets it done. They are the state champions, so congratulations to the Timberwolves, I believe. Norman North Timberwolves taking down Sam. You're Edmund North Huskies. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. What a heck of a tournament, right, Woody? I mean, how about a state championship? You're playing in a playoff for some rings, right? Uh, That was big. Now, you know, I, I... felt really bad because I had been down there as a rules official for Robert O'Smith 
and Greg Groves asked me to do that. I was all good, but I was on the front nine, so I never got to see all the excitement coming down the stretch. And Robert O sent me a message and said, hey, Woody, you're done. Go home. Well, <laughs> I didn't even know there was a playoff. Oh, I no. how good I am. I am so bad. I got in my car and I left. And then you guys start making these text messages to me about how this is going to be a really cool playoff and all that. And I'm thinking to myself, golly, how stupid am I? I left. So I don't know. It was a it was a bad deal for me. And and, and then to make it even worse, Sam, you're going to be really disappointed in me. Um, I'm working the eighth hole down there at Jimmy Austin, the par five. And I wish I could tell you the young man's name. I did not know it, but he was playing for Edmund North. He hits a, a kind of, he was a left-handed golfer. You guys know who he is. I mean, uh, but he he blocks his tee shot. It gets lucky. It catches the trees and comes back out in the middle of the fairway. And I think, man, he got a great break there, right? Mm-hmm. And so he steps out there in the fairway, and I see him pull out a wood. And he He's probably 270 from this green, guys. And you know how that green dog looks right now, and that's trees in your way. And I'm thinking, what is he going to do with this shot? And he kind of blocks it, which he should, because that tree was kind of in his way, and it goes long and left over there into the tall weeds. Well, there's people up there looking for a softball. And I said, well, there's guys right up there that probably saw go in. You head on up there, and I'm going to run up there and make sure we find your ball. Well, we get up there. Well, that grass down there at Jimmy Austin. Let me tell you something. If you were, if you owned a uh, uh, a little uh, farm or something like that, and you wanted to uh, uh, harvest, that, that'd be the best word I can use for it. Uh, that would be what I would do. I would harvest that that stuff because it is sick. Okay. Yep. Well. They're still looking for this golf ball. Well, I wait until this young man gets there to give him his three minutes. I didn't want to have a Sergio situation. <laughs> and the boy gets there, and they start looking. Well, I hit my watch, okay? And, uh, you know, I'm looking with them, and we're looking and looking and looking, and doggone it, we cannot find this golf ball. I cannot believe we got 15 people in this grass looking for this golf ball, and, and nobody can find this son of a gun. So, you know, Dad, that's like anything. I'm watching my watch, and I said, well, you got a minute. You got, you got 30 seconds, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to do the best I can to find the golf ball, but that three minutes goes by, and I have to look at the young man and go, hey, uh, you know, you're going to have to go back and hit no ball. You've lost that ball. And he goes, ah, oh, man, he gets in the cart with me. Well, you know, I don't know. I I thought about it, and I started to tell all those people that were looking for that golf ball, hey, quit looking for that ball. It's too late. When we get in the golf cart, well, you guys know what's going to happen, don't you? Yep. We yeah. They found it. Yards. We don't go 50 yards, and they start screaming at us. And this little guy sitting next to me, and he goes, Hey, they found it. Let's go. I can go play it. And I go, no, no, you can't. That ball, you had your three minutes, and it was declared lost. We have to go hit this provisional. And I mean, he is mad at me. Oh, I can see it in his eyes. He goes, but they found it. And I go, that is not the point. The point is, is you only had those three minutes. That's the rule of golf. I am here to protect the field. 
okay? That mm-hmm. is my job. I'm a rules official. This is what it is. You got to go back and play. He goes, well, the kid yesterday that I saw did this, and he, he went, they found it, and he went back and played it. I said, well, the bad thing for you is that you have to have a rules official sitting here when this happens because he broke the rules, and I'm not going to let you break the rules. So anyway, long story short, boys, I hate to tell you, Sam, you got probably lost the play time because that kid lost the ball. Well, you know, Woody, it sounds like you made the right the right ruling there, and to me it just sounds like one of those situations, again, where I don't necessarily know why they changed that rule to three minutes. I mean, especially during a search, I think five minutes is, is very, very doable and doesn't make the round too much longer. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those certain situations, Woody. Um, but I, I, I do want to transition here before we get to Bob Tway um, about Norman North. I mean, Colby, Norman North gets their first state title in boys 6A. Uh, and Jake Hopper, he's going to OU next year. Uh, he's a year older than Ryder Cowan. They were both going to OU. Um, just an unbelievable tournament from Norman North. Yeah, it was. And to take down Edmund North, who's pretty much been a giant in 6A men's golf. I mean, Edmund North's been unbelievable just year after year winning state championships. And to beat him in a playoff, uh, Taylor, our, our junior year of high school, you played in a playoff. Now it was for the individual championship, state championship in 5A. It wasn't for the team now, championship. That's but, one thing I did want to bring up real quick, Colby, yeah, yeah. is the fact that I've seen individual playoffs. I have never in my years of team golf, and I played in high school a bunch, and in college a bunch I never have been involved in a team playoff yeah. like that and yeah. this one was for the state title right Taylor yeah team playoffs are weird Taylor talk about that pressure of being in a playoff at the state championship when you talk about a team playoff like that I've only seen it one other time it was when it, it was when I was in college but it's the amount of thrill and exhilaration you get from that it, it's truly outstanding and I mean even before the amount of pressure you have to do something for yourself let alone knowing that well, if you go out and make a double or whatever on the on the hole, you're going to probably cost your team a state title. So, I mean, I can't imagine the pressure some of those kids uh, were dealing with. And like you said, shout out to, to Norman North for being able to prevail in those strenu- what I would call pretty strenuous circumstances in the sense of, you know, it's a state title. You know, you're going to be able to remember that to the day you die. And that's something that no one will ever be able to take away from you. You know, that's, it kind of gets lost a lot of times, guys. We talk about high school golf, you know, the majority of them, don't ever play golf after high school. Very few of them actually go on and make it to college, and there are a select few that have and probably in this tournament that will. But for those kids that will never play after high school, what a great moment it was for those guys. Yeah, absolutely, and hey, an guys, unbelievable tournament they put on at Jimmy Austin. Go ahead, Woody. For the listeners out there, explain to them what happened. I mean, because a lot of people don't know. When you guys said the dramaticness of that, how does that playoff work? Tell the listeners. So you play, you know, all five guys and take four scores. Uh, I know that Norman North made three birdies and a par on 18, which is unbelievably clutch, right, Colby? When when there's one yeah, hole for a incredible. state championship and you make three birdies and a par, I think uh, that Edmund North made three pars and a birdie. Uh, so Norman North goes home with the rings. Yeah, it was unbelievable and just a great performance from them. Uh, it is time now to go talk to Bob Tway. But first, 
first, we want to remind everybody to go see our good friends Groove It Brush, GrooveItBrush.com. Use the promo code 73rd Hole. 73rd Hole, Groove It Brush, the wet club scrub, quite possibly the finest golf club cleaner ever made. It's got a magnet that keeps it on your bag all day long. Put some water on the club face, wash it off. Groove It Brush, promo code 73rd Hole for 10% off. And now let's welcome to the show the 1986 PGA champion, one Mr. Bob Tway. Bob, we appreciate you taking some time for us today. How you doing? I'm doing great. How you all doing? Doing, doing absolutely awesome. fantastic. We are set up here on the uh, patio at Carson Creek. I'm sure a place that you frequented a time or two. Uh, what are you up to these days? You playing much golf? Uh, obviously, PGA Championships rolling around. Those stories are starting to get told in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, so what are you up to these days, and how are you feeling with the PGA on the horizon next week? Well, I'm just actually hanging out here in Arizona, and I am playing quite a bit of golf. The weather's been good, so it's, it's pretty enjoyable. Uh, I actually flipped through uh, Oklahoma a couple weeks ago and got to play Southern Hills, so that was kind of exciting to see all the changes and them getting ready for the championship next week. So it should be a great tournament. Yeah, Bob, absolutely. You mentioned Southern Hills real quick, and then we'll get to Woody. Um I didn't realize that you had played it since it's been restored, and I know you made the cut in 2001 when the U.S. Open was there and in 2007 uh, when the PGA was there. Just expand on uh, the changes that they've made, and do you like them, and uh, maybe mention some things you don't like. Well, you know, it's quite a bit different um, the way it looks because they cut down so many trees. Um, you know, a lot of those holes, uh, three and four, and even some on the backside were pretty tree-lined holes, and now they're not. So, you know, you can really, you know, from each fairway, you can see quite a bit of the golf course, and it's a, it's a lot different. Um, as far as, you know, other major changes, I didn't really notice a whole lot. I mean, obviously, they changed number seven, a um, few keys and things like that. But generally, I think the, the, the biggest change was just the look of the course. Grillo? Yeah, um, they would. Oh, and I'm, I'm called you Brillo. I'm sorry, it's Bob. Uh, for all of you guys are out there listening. Uh, Where does that nickname come from, Woody? Where does the Brillo well, nickname come uh, from? In, in, in college, Bob had a nice set of hair up on top of his head, <laughs> but it looked like a Brillo pad. And uh, so, uh, at OSU, you didn't have a real name. You were, <laughs> you were, if you were Lindy Miller, you were Log. If you were Jim Woodward, you were Woody. And uh, and they went on and on. Raphael Alacon had nicknames. All of us had nicknames. So we never we never really went by our real name. So I, I'm going to remember to call you Bob. I promise. <laughs> no, it's no worries. <laughs> I have one quick question for you about, because I'm a little older than you, but we're, we're at that age where golf, probably is kind of a, a more for fun now than it's ever been in our lives. And tell the people a little bit about your, your eye issue, because I know a lot of people don't know about it, but that kind of took you off even the Champions Tour, where you didn't get a chance to really get to play like you wanted to. You struggled with that. So would you mind just touching real quick about your eye? Well, yeah, actually, I, I was up in Seattle uh, playing a practice round with Willie Wood, getting ready for the Champions event up there, and, and all of a sudden I couldn't see out of my right eye. And what had happened is I'd, uh, I'd torn my retina and it was trying to, to detach. Uh, I called my eye doctor, and luckily we got in to, to see some people, and I had to have a major surgery and got that fixed. But, uh, that was about, I don't know, what, three or four years ago? And then a couple years ago I had, I had the, other, the other eye do the same thing. So 
my vision is, is pretty poor now. I mean, I can see good enough to go out and play and have fun, but, but not good enough to go compete with as good as these guys play now. But, you know, after to think about it, um, it was kind of a blessing. You know, I still I love golf and still love to play, but, you know, it comes to a time when you, you need to do some other things. And, and I probably would have kept playing the Champions Tour, you know, forever and ever, and, and now I don't. And I've actually enjoyed doing a lot of other things. I've got into fly fishing, and uh, I still play a lot of golf. But you know what? It may have been a blessing. Awesome. It's been able to get through that, Bob. Very few things really scarier than starting to lose your vision. So that's uh, really great that you've been able to do that. And so, you know, you want to get back on the golf side of things. You know, so much is made of your 1986 season, and rightfully so, it's one of the best seasons any player's had on the PJ Tour. And, you know, I believe he turned pro in the eight round 81 or something like that. So kind of just dive into us a little bit. What what kind of changed with your game from whenever you first got on tour to be able to become the PJ Tour Player of the Year and win a major championship? Well, you know, to tell you the truth, after 81, um, you know, my last year in college, uh, I, I was playing extremely well, and I figured I could just jump right out on, you know, go to the qualifying school and get out there and do well on tour. Well, that really wasn't the case. I kept missing the tour school by a shot. And uh, and then back then, there really wasn't many alternatives. I went to Asia and played. I went to South Africa and played and uh, anywhere I could. Many tours, state opens. Um, and I got to play some, some tour events, but but not frequently enough to be able to, uh, you know, get out there. And then finally in 84, I got my card and uh, played okay in 85. And, and I don't know the, the exact reason why in 86 it turned out so good. I know I hit the ball well that week or that year and, and putted extremely well, which is a great combination. But, um, you know, there's no guarantees in this game. And, and some sometimes people get out there right away and they're not ready. And sometimes people take a little bit longer to get out there and then maybe they're more ready. Bob, I, I just wanted to follow up on that question real quick because during the Masters, Brandel compared Scotty Scheffler's season this year to your player of the year season in 86. What similarities and differences do you see with Scotty and yourself, and what advice might you give uh, Scotty Scheffler? Well, obviously, Scotty's been out there a little bit longer than I had, and that was my second year when, when I did started doing that. But obviously, he's a tremendous talent, and uh, – you know, it's only similar that, you know, I, I won three times in a major and he's now won three times in and, and a, and a major. And so it's just, I, I guess, I guess the thing that I would tell him is that, and he already knows this stuff, that there's no reason to change anything. Obviously, he's already doing great. I think what happened to me a little bit is after that year, I kind of expected that to continue. And um, that really wasn't very good thinking because that, that doesn't happen all the time. So in 87, I didn't win. I didn't win in 88 and 89. So it was okay, but I still thought I needed to get better. So I was always monkeying around with my swing trying to get better. And sometimes you don't get better, you get worse. So I had some up and downs in my career. But, but you know what? He's got a good team around him, and, and, and he'll be just fine. He, he's just a, a tremendous player. Yeah, he absolutely is, and he's headed to the PGA Championship next week, as are all the best players in the world. I want to talk to you about that 1986 PGA Championship because lately we've talked a lot, especially on this show, about 54-hole leads and about how Tiger really distorted our view of 54-hole leads. It's it's like leading a basketball game by two points at the end of the third quarter. It, you're not guaranteed to go out and win that game. We saw it with Keegan Bradley this past week where he has the 54-hole lead and doesn't convert. You're going into that final round in 86. You're four shots back 
of Greg Norman. You end up winning by two. Obviously, you have the incredible bunker hole out. I'm sure it's something that you get asked about all the time. Take us through that Saturday night and the lead-up to that round on Sunday. Your four back, was it almost just kind of this freedom feeling that you could just go out and be aggressive and whatever happens, happens? Yeah, I mean, even prior to that, you got to remember that Greg Norman led the other three majors that year and the PGA going to going into Sunday. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I got a dog in the background. <laughs> um, so, um, so that was, you know, he had led every major. Uh, he didn't win, you know, the Masters of the U.S. Open, but he did win the British. So uh, again, he was leading on on Saturday night. And uh, but yeah, four back. I think all you're trying to do is just uh, go out there and play the best round you can. And at the turn, I'm still four back. Um, he hit it in a sand divot on the 11th hole, and uh, which is, I mean, obviously a bad break, and ended up making a double bogey, uh, buried in the bunker. Now all of a sudden it's only two shots. Two shots is basically nothing in a golf tournament. So uh, I was able to birdie the 13th hole, and now it's one shot, and, and you know, and, and so on. But anyway, then I end up holding the, the bunker shot. But um, you know, I, I think all you're trying to do is put yourself in position. Um, you know, and then just see what happens. Now, Tiger's a whole different animal. He's a whole different animal <laughs> in everything he does. You know, I mean, his record, if you just start going back and look at all the different things he did, obviously the win percentages, you know, 54 hole leads pretty much every single time except for Y.E. Yang or whatever. I mean, it's just kind of ri- ridiculous. And un- unfortunately for everybody else, yeah, he's distorted everything because he made it look so easy and it's not it's very 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 difficult because obviously no one else is able to do it so bob looking through here um your last three wins that you had on the pga tour all came in playoff events so what what in your mind it was the secret to getting through that because we were talking about earlier with the uh, the state championship their team had to go into a playoff for the state title so kind of give us your mindset and what you're thinking about whenever you go into playoffs and to have that success well, I mean, I, I had some success, but I also didn't have some success sometimes. I, I was four and four in playoffs. Um, so playoffs are, are a tough thing. You know, sometimes someone will, will mess up and give it to you, and the other times, you know, you've got to make birdie. Um, it, it's just a, it's a weird deal. Also, it depends on how many people are in the playoffs. You know, I, I've, I've, I had playoffs, so my very first win in San Diego uh, with, with Bernhard Lager, it's just the two of us. Um, you know, a couple other ones. I remember in, in L.A., I was in a playoff with seven people at Riviera. So that, that, all the odds are less on that one. Um, all you can do is just all of a sudden becomes match play. You know, and match, match play is a different animal than stroke play. So, you know, if your guy drives out there knocks in the water, then you're going to obviously play a little bit more conservative shot than if he, if he knocks it stiff. So I think you just kind of have to play the opponent a little bit more uh, – because it turns into a match play situation. Bob, we're sitting out here, like Colby said, on the patio at Karsten Creek, and I got a question not only for you but for Woody as well. I know that a bunch of our listeners are Oklahoma State fans. We need to hear a couple Mike Holder stories, either one from Woody and one from Bob, but we, we got to hear a couple. You, you, want the X-ray? You, want, you want the X-ray one? It's a podcast. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> You guys can say I mean, whatever you want. Yeah, you can say you, whatever you want. Yeah. You, 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 you can go. You could. We could be. We could be on here for for days about Holder's story. <laughs> Just pick one or two, guys. 
you know, it's, it's, it's funny because, unfortunately, in this day and age, I don't know if Coach should be coach anymore. <laughs> as much stuff as we have. I, I don't think he could, buddy. I don't think he could. I, I'm so, pretty sure so, he couldn't. So the time that he and I were wrestling out on the driving range at Wichita probably would have got him in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was going to be that was going to be one of my stories, but you can tell that one because that actually happened to you. So that would be a good one for you to tell. Well, you know, there's two sides to every story, right? So oh, yeah, his his is probably a little bit different than mine, but. But for some reason, you know, we, we had to take Shaq back, a Shaq back up to that tournament because they didn't have a, a really a driving range. We just were just kind of warming up in a field. And Coach took his, his uh, second-string balls, I'll say. You know, they were all the, his beat-up balls. And I kept bugging him. I said, Coach, why didn't you bring your good balls? Don't you trust us to, you know, keep them in play? And I don't know. He was in a bad mood that day or whatever, and he'd had enough. And so I smarted off, you know, about something, and, and he basically just took me down. And there I was, 15 minutes before I was supposed to tee off with all the other all the other teams that are warming up, and he and I are having a wrestling match right there on the driving ring. And <laughs> coach, coach, coach was bigger than me. This is my sophomore year, and he was bigger than me, and he got the best of me. He sure did because <laughs> I got up, and I got on my black slacks and my orange shirt. I've got grass stains on my back and I got a cut on my side of my face. I mean, we didn't just wrestle. We were getting after it. Yes, yes. I was a witness. I was a witness. So this is factual, boys. This is actually happening. And we're all standing around, all of us on the team and all the other guys on other teams, and we're we're looking at each other going, are you shitting me? What in the hell is this? And, and obviously, we really were, I'm dead serious, guys. We were going, are you kidding me? What is he doing? So what happened, Bob? Did you just put a tee so, in well, the ground and go play golf like nothing happened? Okay, so, so, the, so the second part is, so, so yeah, everyone's eyes are like, you know, wide open, deer in the head, like, what is happening? And, you know, we're all from Oklahoma. We've all wrestled. You know, after you wrestle for a couple minutes, I mean, you're like shaking. You know, your, yeah. your, your muscles yeah. are fatigued and, and you're mad and you're sweaty. I mean, we were getting after it. And and yeah. so now I've got to go to the tee. And I don't know if you, I don't, I, I don't remember the golf course all that well up there, but all I know is on the first tee, if there was out of bounds left, I would have been in it because I hit it two fairways over off the first tee. The biggest snap hook you've ever seen. And I trundle over there and I'm still so mad I can't even see straight. And I end up making... I make double bogey on the hole, and I'm <laughs> yeah. like, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm beside myself, you know. And so we had a long. Uh, fortunately, we had a long wait on the second hole. Someone had lost the ball or something ahead of us or whatever. And I got to sit down on a bench and I just kind of got to collect myself a little bit. And I ended up playing okay, but it's weird because we we, we finished the round. Obviously, Holder and I didn't speak. We got in the van and we've got to we got to drive back to. Stillwater, you know, two and a half hours, and coach is driving, and I'm actually up in the front seat. We haven't spoken. We didn't speak for two weeks. So, and then all of a sudden, it was like, I, I guess the time limit was up or whatever, and then all of a sudden, it was kind of like, okay, it's over with or whatever, but it was a very uncomfortable situation for quite a long time. <laughs> it was hey, guys, can you imagine? It was uncomfortable for all of us, and there was more than one time when we all had to ride in that van after he was pissed off at us, and if you 
you tell Woody he can't talk for two and a half hours, that's tough on Woody. That is really hard for Woody to do. And, and, and we, I had to sit back there like a sock in my mouth because I felt sorry for Bob. I wanted to whip his ass is what I wanted to do. I was sorry. You know, I was like, God dang, but I was smaller than Bob. So if both of us had pounced on him, we had a chance. The only guy you wouldn't fight is Britt, Britt Harrison. He wouldn't have, he didn't, he didn't go toe-to-toe with Britt. Britt had killed him. So, so I got I got to tell I got to tell one other backstory. So so that was like my sophomore year. So anyway, over that year, I actually grew like another couple inches, and we were working out. So by by like winter of my junior year, I was bigger than Holder was, and we'd always yeah. go down the wrestling room and, and we'd wrestle every winter. He just loved to take us down there because I think it was because it was so nasty. You know, the wrestlers loved it. <laughs> You know, so, so we were wrestling and we had this deal that we'd wrestle until someone said uncle. Well, I got coaching kind of a half Nelson, but you know what? He wouldn't have said uncle. I could have killed him before he was going to say uncle. (laughs) That is a fact. So I just kept cranking on his shoulder. And finally, I just knew that he was turning red because I had him in a good position and and he was not going to say it. So I finally let him up. Well, the great thing is I'd hurt his shoulder and he couldn't play golf for like two weeks. So everybody was excited about that. (laughs) I was so proud of you, buddy. I was so proud of you. That's so good. And if you guys... You guys want to hear even a funnier one than that. Holder had a rule that when you were playing, you could not have any... You couldn't have a dip in or you couldn't smoke. You couldn't cuss and you couldn't throw golf clubs. And if you did any one of those, it was a five-shot penalty. And if you were playing with the guy and he did it and you didn't turn him in, it was a five-shot penalty on you. Wow. Well, late, at eight Lakeside, wow. the 18th hole, I don't know if you guys remember the 18th hole Lakeside before they redid everything. There was a group of cedar trees right behind the green. Well, it was Lindy Miller and Britt Harrison and I were playing a qualifying round. Well, Brett Harrison had the biggest chew in his mouth you've ever seen, okay? <laughs> and we're on the 18th screen. Well, he misses this little three-footer or four-footer, I don't know what it was, and he wings his putter at his bag and hollers at the top of his lung an F-bomb that you could hear somewhere south of Stillwater, okay? <laughs> well, right as that happened, Holder walks through that head. Those cedar trees are right there. Holder walks through that hedge at that exact – the timing couldn't have been worse for Britt. Well, Lindy and I see him, and we're looking at each other, and Lindy and I look at each other, and we both look at Britt, and we go, hey, Britt, that, that's a five-shot penalty for Custom. That's a five-shot penalty for throwing that stuff. And if you got in your mouth, that's a five-shot penalty. Well, Holder's having no part of this. He says, you three, get in the clubhouse now. Get in there. So we go in there, and I don't know why, but Bob will tell you, but Holder had a burr up his ass for me from the time I hit the door. I don't know what I did wrong the whole time, other than I was just kind of a happy-go-lucky guy, and he didn't like that. Well, anyway, we get in this office, and he's sitting there in front of us all, and he goes, first off, every one of you is getting 15 shots. (laughs) We we called it on him. He goes, what did you shut up? (laughs) <laughs> well okay <laughs> so i shut up well then the funny thing happened we had a big tournament coming that week coming up well he needed brett and lindy he didn't need a woody <laughs> i mean woody was just you know trying to make the team but all of a sudden 
they didn't have those five shot penalties like they were, and they went on the on the tournament. And I went, what the hell? I walked up my. He said, "What do you shut up?" <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's two stories for you. And Bob's right. We could go on, guys. This show ain't long enough. We could go on for as long as you wanted because they're a nonstop. Some, some valuable lessons were taught that day at Langside. Would he shut up? <laughs> yeah, Would he shut up? Okay, I will. All right. Some valuable but you know, lessons. A little, little different day and time. Go ahead, Bob. But you know, I mean, with all those stories and all the all the shit that he did, he helped us so much too. I mean, oh, without doubt, oh, he caddied he caddied for me when I finally got to the tour school. He was a, he was a groomsman to my wedding. I mean, he was like a, a father brother figure for your whole life. I mean, it was it was like a it was like a love hate relationship. Without no, a doubt, I would have never got to the PGA Tour without those four years with Mike Holder. I would have never got there. He made me so much of a tougher, better golfer. Now, I didn't see it at the time. I, I didn't want to admit it, but he was really good at making or getting the best out of his players. Now, he might beat you into the turf before he found it, but, <laughs> but he could make you a better player. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. Bob, I wanted to ask you, you know, back then, Oklahoma State powerhouse and all that stuff, OU recently has really, you know, stepped their game up under Coach Hibble, and now OU and OSU are kind of the two powers on the men's side. Um, I mean, how much have you enjoyed kind of just, you know, bedlam golf becoming a big thing in the state of Oklahoma? You said you're out in Arizona, national championship out in Arizona again this year. Both of them were in the Final Four last year, OU losing in the championship match to Pepperdine. But just the way college golf has really become – uh, one of the forefront talking points in the state of Oklahoma in the months uh, of May and leading up to June with the national championships. Just what do you think about Bedlam and college golf and the way it's uh, it, it's kind of grown? Well, I mean, obviously Coach Hibble's done an unbelievable job. Um, you know, they had some good teams throughout the years, but lately, obviously, they've just been, been fantastic. Um, and you're right, having the NCAA out here in a few weeks, uh, I'll get to go out and watch the boys play there. And uh, it's, college golf is great. It's hard to imagine if you think about it, as, as bad as the weather there is in Oklahoma, that you could have two of the best golf teams every single year. Um, it, it's, it's always uh, befuddles me that that's the case. But I guess it just shows you that you learn to play in inclement weather. It's probably better off um, than not. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Bob, with the reason why, uh, you know, the state school is so successful. You know, we talk all the time about how hard it is to get on the PGA Tour. Well, I think it's even more rare to have a father and son on the PGA Tour. So what's it been like for you, Bob, to watch Kevin grow along his journey to be a PGA Tour member? It's cool for us. I remember when he won the uh, the, the USGA Junior, I believe it was 2007-ish. No, 2005, I apologize. So what's it been like for you as a father to watch him grow up and to kind of carry on the family legacy on the tour? Well, obviously, it's been great. Uh, you know, obviously, we're, I'm very lucky. We have we have a very good relationship. You know, a lot of a lot of times, uh, a father and son, you know, trying to do the same thing, and a father trying to help the son doesn't always work that well. But um, obviously, our relationship is such that that we can talk about things a lot. And um, you know, and and lately, it's been great since I haven't been playing as much. I, I've been out on the road quite a bit, watching and. Uh, Kevin hasn't played as well lately, but, but, but in general, it's just, uh, it's just fun to go out there and watch. And it, the only problem with it is just so darn nerve wracking. 
um, you know, everyone that has, has a son, no matter it's little league or whatever it is, it's just it's just uh, gut wrenching always to to watch because you just want them to, to do so well, and you, you really don't have much control over the fact. So, uh, but anyway, it's it's just it's just a lot of fun to watch it and and, and to talk about it and, and, and try to help is is, uh, is great too. Bob, you mentioned. Hey, Bob. Go ahead, Woody. Go ahead, Sam. I was just going to mention, you know, since we were talking about Kevin, um, and Woody, you can speak on this a little bit too, um, but obviously I grew up out at Oak Tree, as did a bunch of other good players in the state of Oklahoma. You guys were there from the start. Just tell me a little bit about the early days uh, of Oak Tree and maybe how it was different and what you guys loved about it so much. Well, um, I mean, the early days were very unique. Uh, I, I mean, there weren't many places uh, like like Oak Tree uh, in, in the country. Uh, there was done that well, and, and the whole landmark establishment, and then and then to start signing up, uh, you know, what turned into be the Oak Tree Gang with all the the pros living there and playing there. That was just very unique. You know, a lot of that happened in Arizona and Florida, where the weather was good, but not in Oklahoma. Um, but the golf course and the facility were so good that, that everybody wanted to stay there. Um, I still think, you know, we're, we're going to go through a little reconstruction right now and, and put uh, Bermuda Greens in. I still think Cheetah Green, the golf course, is about as good as I've ever played. And if the, if the greens, the Bermuda Greens turn out good to where they're back to firmer and faster, Oak Tree will be right back on the map. Um, so it's just a great place to learn to play when you have that many people and good players around. It helps you. I think that's why uh, Edmund North has done so successful in the in the state tournaments of being able to, to play at Oak Tree and Oak Tree National. And I think just having that many good players and kids around, it just uh, it just benefits everybody. Yeah, would, would he maybe expand on that a little bit? Oh, he's he's spot on. I, I mean, when when Oak Tree back when it opened, I mean, it it was hard for people to actually understand what was because it was way out in the middle of nowhere. It was not unheard of for somebody to be out there in their underwear playing. Uh, I saw it countless times. There were no women allowed at that time. It was not politically correct for sure, but that didn't matter. There were more helicopters in the in the parking lot usually than there were cars. Uh, so it was a different time. It was just such a different time. But one thing you can bank on, if you could play Oak Tree and you could keep it around par or under par, it didn't matter where you went. You were ready to go. And I, I remember my first senior open, I played at Whistling Straits, and everybody said, hey, Whistling Straits is so hard. It is so hard. Hell, the first round I went out and shot five under on it. And I thought, you all don't know hard. You want hard? You go play Oak Tree. That's hard. So it just prepared you. You could sure tell where you were lacking in your golf game by playing at Oak Tree. And, and Bob's right. When you have that many good players, and they're starting to see that again out there, which is really exciting for me, uh, you know, because Hoblin stuck around. Matthew Will's sticking around. There's, there's, there's a number, though, you guys there. Gilmer, there, there's a bunch of them, right? Well, that breeds players around, good players. It just makes you a better player, and I think Bob would be the first to admit that. 
Bob, you know, Greg Norman's been in the news a lot lately, uh, not only with the Live Golf Tour, but the 30 for 30 as well. Um, I wish they would have interviewed you for that 30 for 30 because I would love to hear your thoughts on what you thought about Greg Norman. Um, and then, you know, obviously that the your bunker shot has been showed a lot too. I, I didn't realize, Bob, that your ball was almost in a little rut there. Did we not know how to rake bunkers back then? Maybe talk a little bit um, about that bunker shot and, and what you thought of Greg Norman. Well, obviously, uh, Greg was a tremendous player. <clears throat> you know, we already talked about him leading all the, the, the majors that year, which I don't think has ever been done in one year. But uh, I actually can't believe he went back and did that 30-30, to tell you the truth. I actually watched it myself, and I'm like, why did he do that? I mean, I can I can understand maybe having to sit down and, t- and talk about it, but to go back to Augusta National and relive the shots and talk about it, I, I don't know. That was that was something to, something to see. But, uh, you know, people uh, had talked about the bunker shot a lot. Um, you know, it, I hit a poor tee shot on that, that 72nd hole. I, I hit an iron off the tee, and I pushed it over in the rough. And the rough that deep was – the rough that year was really, really deep. And I'm standing there in the rough, and I'm going, you know what? I've got no place to put this ball. You know, I'm, I'm trying to make four because I figured Greg's going to make four and we're going to go into a playoff. And I'm thinking, well, if I can gouge it out of this rough and somehow get it up into that front bunker, uh, that'll probably be about the best place I can put it to, to get the ball up and down. Because being right or left on that green isn't very good either. Uh, and I didn't even know if I could get into the right or left bunker. So I thought, well, if I can just get this thing to come out straight, uh, like I said, maybe I can make four. So I was lucky that I got the ball up on the upslope of the bunker. Because the bunker shot was obviously downhill, but being on the upslope, I was able to get a little bit of height, and obviously it's a lot of luck for the ball to go in. But uh, you know, Greg had actually hit a decent shot in that hole, and it, he was playing that darn tour edition ball that had way too much spin back then, and it sucked it back off into the rough. So obviously, when I when I made mine, the chances of him holding his his rough shot were not very good. But but Greg was a tremendous player. I mean, he's getting a lot of uh, grief right now with the, the live tour, but. You know, I don't really know what to think about it. You know, there's just, there's so much talk about it and so much uncertainty. You know, obviously the tour's fighting it uh, tremendously. Uh, obviously there's going to get lawyers involved because, um, you know, can, can they ban people from going to play another tour? I think that's all up in the air. I mean, obviously the tour thinks they're correct and the, the live guys think they're correct. So, I mean, they have. I'm sure they've been talking to lawyers, and they both think they're on the the right side of things. So it's going to be very interesting. That's for sure. Bob, this this is what I'm going to briefly touch on that. I think you'll you'll remember because you and I were playing at the same time. Do you remember the last time the PGA Tour had a big lawsuit and who they went against? Would you mind telling us? Well, one was with Carson Solheim. Boom! Uh, Boom. Yeah, you got it, but, buddy. but we but we but we've had a. We, we've had a few of them. I don't think the tour's ever won any of them. They haven't. That's what I was going <laughs> to tell you. And that's that's the thing with this deal. This this deal, I don't know. I mean, because uh, they got lucky with Carson Solheim because Carson Solheim buried him. He could have owned that PGA tour, and it was all over square grooves. And I know I know Jack Nicklaus was really big after watching Calcavecchia hit that shot at the Honda, and it stopped on the green, and he immediately went after Dean Beeman, and then it it blew up, and they fought that for a number of years, and they lost. And you you hit the nail on the head. The PGA Tour has not won any of their major lawsuits. 
and Bob, let me ask you this. Let's say you're 20 years younger, okay? And we're uh, both of us 25 years younger. And we're out there playing. And somebody says to you, hey, you don't have to quit your tour, but would you mind helping us on our tour? And you come play. And first place, by the way, is $4 million. And last place is $120,000. And Dean Beeman or Tim Finch, and when we were playing, says, hey, you don't get to go. Well, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that was real fair. I, I'm last time I checked, I'm an independent contractor, and I know the PGA Tour does a lot for everybody, and especially in your case right now, because I know your pension has got to be a, is pretty substantial. But can we expect our tour to just monopolize? Is that fair? Well, that's what the whole fight's going to be about. I, I'm not sure it is fair. And, and I understand, you know, they've, they've come up with all these different things. You know, the PIP last year, which I think is, you know, uh, a pile of, you know, what? Might, might as well just pay the big guy. You know, yeah, just, yeah, exactly. just pay them. We, we all know what's going on. And, and they're actually trying to restructure, restructure it again with maybe only the top 60. Uh, and then everyone else plays the fall events, mixed in with the Corn Ferry to, to – see who plays from January to August. You know, they're, they're throwing right. all these different right. things out there all to benefit the better player. Okay, well, that's fun, well and good, the top 60. But what about the guy who finishes 61st? Mm-hmm. He's got to go back and play all these tournaments in the fall to regain his status after he just busted his ass for nine months on the, on the regular tour with everybody else and he missed by one shot and he's 61st? You know... You go, you go, well, heck, why would I want to do that every year when I can go over here and, you know, and I'm not going to get into the politics about it, you know, where the money's coming and all that, because I, I was just a golfer, you know, and people are going to say, well, their regime and this and that, and I'm going, well, you know, I'm not going to say the United States is doing all that great either in a lot of things. So um, get politics away. I mean, how can you not say, you know what, I may go look at that. I can go over here and play 10 tournaments maybe play a little bit in Asia or different places and, and, and make a great living. And I, I go, what's wrong with that? Yeah, no, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, that's, that's absolutely a sensible take there, Bob. Go ahead and finish up here, Woody, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. Well, I just wanted his opinion because he's my age. And, and I, I just, I was really excited to get him on because I didn't get to see Bob near as much. He, like I say, winners in Arizona. We, I'm not as as much as I used to be. But I love he is so insightful. Bob Quay does not speak unless he thinks. Let me tell you, unlike Woody. So <laughs> he is he is a guy that I wanted his opinion. And I'm not shocked what I just got. Thank you so much, Bob, because I would have thought exactly what you said is what you were going to say. Well, um, like I said, I think the tour has uh... – I know, like I said, I know they've thought this through and they think that they're on the right side of things. But, but you got to remember, there's, there's a lot of people trying to play golf. Um, you know, you've got the Cornberry Tour, the PGA Tour, the Latin American Tour, the Canadian Tour, and you've got other people trying to play who can't get on those tours. So, and it's becoming obviously a very, very worldwide game. So you, you, you might want to just work with these people. As opposed to just trying to just go, you know, no, it's it's my way or the highway. Anyway, that's my opinion, which 
you know, like I said, means nothing. Yeah, absolutely, Bob. No, we appreciate agree more. We, we appreciate all your time and uh, all your insight today. Some of those great stories. You got a pick for us, or a couple of picks for us at the PGA next week, since you've uh, played Southern Hills. Well, okay, I'm going to take. I'm just going to go out on a limb. I'm going to take the number one player in the world <laughs> because he said that it was his favorite golf course, and he's playing great. So I'm going to pick Scotty Scheffler. He shot a 64 up there last week, Bob. I don't know if you saw that or not. Last Thursday, he went up there for a practice round, shot 64. Well, that's another question I got. Is who in the world keeps, keeps scoring a practice round? I couldn't understand that. <laughs> I was going to say thank. Phil Mickelson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, guess I, I guess that depends on how much you're playing for. Oh. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe that's why he's the number one player and I was an also ran. I don't know. <laughs> Bob, you're the man. Uh, yeah. We uh, we can't be more appreciative of your time. Thank you so much Thank for joining so much, us. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank right, you, Bob. You so much. Fun. Bye-bye. All right, have a good one. See you, brother. That was Bob Tway here on the 73rd hole. Couldn't be more appreciative of him taking some time for us today. Some great stories from Bob Tway and Jim Woodward about the old days here at uh, at Oklahoma State. Some great, great stories. Let's take a break, come back on the other side. A lot more to get into today up here at Karsten Creek. Everybody stay with us here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. And we are back here on the 73rd hole. Big, big thank you again to Bob Tway for coming on the show. Woody, what a great guy Bob Tway is for taking the time to do that the week before the PGA. I know he doesn't do many interviews, but uh, Woody, you actually you know, got Bob Tway to talk a little bit in that interview, right? Well, it, 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 you know what's cool is I need, to, I need to do more of that with you guys because if there is one thing I did make with a lot of friends, I was luckily not what you call a turd. Uh, I made a lot of good acquaintances out there. You'd be surprised if people I could get on the phone that probably would talk to us that you wouldn't believe it had a personality, but they do. Bob, Bob was just always kind of a, a, a drink self, but that's cool. I mean, Absolutely. that was what made Bob. But He's great. He, don't think he doesn't have a sense of humor and don't think he doesn't have a heck of a personality because he's got both. He's a good son of a gun. I'm telling you right now. Absolutely. And T-Dub, we were talking a little bit about the live tour with Bob there and you said you totally agreed 
with his point on, you know, the PGA Tour has never won one of these lawsuits. And, and, and just kind of expand on your thoughts on that a little bit. Obviously, uh, last show we talked a little bit about Sergio and about Phil's situation with this whole thing. Uh, how do you think this thing turns out? So, guys, I remember I'm going back way in the weeds here. I remember back to the high school uh, history class learning about uh, government in particular and some, some philosophies here. And I remember one in particular, oh, Teddy Roosevelt, his philosophy was big stick diplomacy is what they called it. it essentially was, hey, we're the United States. We're, we're the best around. We're going to act like it. I believe the quote was something, speak softly and carry a big stick. You will go far. And I think that's what the PGA Tour is trying to do here. They're trying to shut down. Because essentially by making this ban for a tournament outside the United States, they pretty much considered the Saudi League an official quote-unquote rival tour, which is fairly interesting because you think of all the other tours that play, the uh, Asian, Australian PGA, DP World Tour, obviously that's now Buddy Buddies with uh, Sunshine Tour, those kinds of things, where players can go play in those tournaments all they want if they don't get over the maximum of three, but all of a sudden they're not doing it for this tour. And so... You know, I think it's a really good point in the sense of, you know, I think there could be some sort of partnership like this down the road, guys. But right now, the PGA Tour is just trying to big stick diplomacy, like I talked about, and even going into more of a history lesson, you know, going back on the reason why we don't allow monopolies in the United States. You know, that's because of the old Carnegie Steel or whatever it was called. You know, they merged with Rockefeller or whatever, and they said, hey, we're going to run the thing, and we're going to charge prices all we want. And I feel like the PGA Tour is also trying to do that, where they're trying to, govern not only golf in general but the best players in the world and i agree with exactly what you said well either independent contractors there, there's if you go out on the pga tour and you have a tour card and you miss every single cut you don't get anything and if the pga tour wants to have that kind of power over players they have to give something for either their travel or something to make it to where you're not going to be losing money if you don't play well so i, I don't know guys i completely agree with everything that was said it just seems like the tour is trying to just trying to big stick this thing, and I, I agree. I don't think they're going to end up winning this when it's all said and done, but I don't know what the ramifications of that will be. What do you hey, think? Hey, good point, yeah. Taylor. Well, that, that, he's making great points, so Bob. And, and I even said I feel like the tour will probably be able to squash it. Well, the more I read about how much money, this is what this whole world's about, guys. It's about money. And – let me tell you something, the Asian tour, the South African tour, the Corn Ferry tour, none of those have this kind of money. That is what is going to make the biggest difference. They got deep, deep pockets. They will fight this thing for as long as they have to fight it. And I think now it's become personal. I really do. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Taylor, when you said the United States, the PGA, had this chip on their shoulder and somebody wants to knock it off. Well, if you're going to try to knock a chip off somebody's shoulder, you got to have lawyers to do it, and you got to have a deep pocket to do it, and they got both. So I don't look – I do not look for the PGA Tour to win on this. So they're going to have to prod it in some way and let these guys, if they want to play some of these events, which I think that's what they should have done all along, just say, hey, this is a great chance to show off worldwide golf. Uh, guys, we still want you to be a member of the PGA Tour. We want you to play 15 events for us or 13 events, whatever that number is now. But if you need to go and make some money, I'm all about that. But now we've drawn the line in the sand, and it's he said, she said, and I want to do this, I want to do that. So it's going to get ugly. Just book it. It's going to get ugly. Yeah, and the big news that came out yesterday is that the PGA Tour will not give exemptions to the guys going um, to London over there, give the releases to the guys going uh, to the live event in London. It, 
it's a little bit of a surprise because we thought that they would deny them the release to play in the turn the live tournament in Portland um, opposite the John Deere. Um, but we thought considering they already let them go to Saudi once this year and it's not an official tour yet, it's just considered a series um, that they might let them go to London, but they are not. And Greg Norman had some strong words about this. It, it, he basically called it anti-golfer, anti-fan, and anti-competitive. Uh, were you guys surprised by this? I was I was absolutely surprised just from, you know, like the reasons we just mentioned earlier. I, I do feel like once it gets into a lawsuit deal, I don't think it's, they're going to be able to make it that far. And I think the only exception to that would be just like what is in that player's handbook that they have to sign. And obviously, what you're the only one out of us who, who would know anything about that. So is there anything in the PGA Tour handbook, the player's book, whatever you want to call it, that would give the Tour this kind of power to govern independent contractors? It, not really. When you get right down to the nut cutting guys, there's really not something there. And and I think what we're going to see why this happened this time and not wait till Portland. I mean, it's kind of like if the snake is coiled, right? You better hit him because if you don't, he's going to strike. And so I think they truly believe that. Okay, we're going to we're not playing around anymore. We're going, to, we're going to tell you you're not playing. And then, then we're going to see what the fallout might be from it. And until we get really the, the, the what we call the big names of our tour, which is Johnson, Kepka, Scheffler, Seeds, uh, you know, you, you name them all, the, the Rory. Um, there's a million of them we could name, not a million, but 10, 12 of them. Until one of those guys, changes his mind, I don't know what's going to happen, really. But at some point, if these other guys are going over there and playing these soft tournaments, and let me tell you something, there's only 48 guys, there's no cuts. I know you guys saw the purse. First is $4 million. Last place is $120,000. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's big. Uh, I don't know how you can not want to go over there and play a few of those. Absolutely, Woody, and I agree with you. I wasn't necessarily that surprised about this, though, just considering the fact that I think the PGA Tour is just kind of – uh, you know, speeding up the inevitable, uh, right? I mean, I think they would have banned these point. guys later on. I think they're just speeding up the inevitable in this situation. Um, but to me, I, I tend to agree with you guys. If 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 your tour, if you want to grow the game of golf, and that's what the you know big saying is, whether it be the USGA or PGA Tour, I, I think you you just kind of have to be better, get better purses. If if if. 15 guys, like Greg Norman says, out of the top 100 want to go over there. There's a reason why, and and a lot of it's money, right? I mean, give, get more money going on the PGA Tour, and I know that people were saying, oh, Sergio's made $54 million in his career. Well, he could have made more if there were things like this, right, Woody? Oh, without a doubt, and, and it's uh, money moves the world and we can all sit around and go oh yeah it's not about that yes it is it it, it truly is and and that's why that's got a big burr up my butt over this is these guys what you've got is somebody saying to these guys that are world-class players i'm not going to let you go make four million this week you've got to go to uh the john deere classic and make 1.2 
Well, what? Uh, excuse me? Uh, what do you mean I can't go do that? And that's why I just don't like it. I wish, I really wish we didn't always have to have fights in everything we do. You know who's going to get rich over this, guys? Who always gets rich over all these kinds of deals? Lawyers. Right. They're going to get rich. That's very good point. Because they're going to... They're going to fight and fight and fight, and then somebody's going to lose, and we're going to have to settle, and we're going to, have to do all this. But that's what's going to happen. Why couldn't these guys have been grown adults, got together, and figured out a way for this to help golf? Well, and, and what we always say, bad press is at least some kind of press. Well, gosh, you got to be careful with that, too, because this is some bad press going on right now. For the guy that doesn't know golf like we do, this doesn't look good for the golf, the PGA Tour. It doesn't look good. Well, and, you know, that's such a great point you make, Woody, about the, about the lawyers, because think about it. I mean, most lawsuits take years to get settled. So what's going to happen by the time all this stuff finally gets finalized and they start working on it? We're just going to be in this limbo for years trying to figure out if these players can play or not play. And then we've had the conversation of, well, even if the live tour does, is the players are allowed to go out there, is it actually going to be – a profitable and good business endeavors are going to be able to keep making money over the course of years to go and to keep playing these players like they're wanting to. And it, it guys, it just boggles my mind that the first event that they're trying to host is is four hundred thousand more dollar for the winner than the players' championship was this year, which we got so much publicity on. That's going to be the richest tournament by far in in golf history. And now we just go to this tour that they're not letting them play, and we're giving out more money. It just it just boggles my mind, guys. It truly does. Well, guys, let's transition a little bit because since our last show, Phil Mickelson, who has kind of been the poster boy for the Live Tour, is in the field as of right now for the PGA. And, you know, it's just like any other tournament that these guys can withdraw whenever they want to. But for right now, Phil Mickelson is in the field for the PGA. Do you guys expect him to play? You know, I'm going to stick on what I've been saying. I think the only other people that I've heard say that they don't think they're going to play are my dad, and I think I heard Damon Hack on the Golf Channel say he doesn't think he's going to play either. And I, I just think I'm on that train. I mean, we got Shipman's book coming out on the Monday of the PGA. Uh, the PGA championship already came out and said they're worried about the circus that could happen with, with all the questions that Phil has. And, you know, I, I just I think that Phil's just not ready to, to handle the spotlight yet. And I think it's going to be a shame, in all honesty, if he doesn't, the defending PGA champion essentially being blackballed out of, out of the tour and out of the game. So, I, I don't know, Woody. I, I'm still on the side he's not, but there's just some little hope in me that he is going to be there because it doesn't matter what he's done or what he's said over the last few months. He's one of the best golfers of all time. And you got to think about this, too. I didn't even mention this the other day that I should have. He's got all these gambling problems, all these things, and he still won as much as he has. I mean, it just shows the show. He's one of the most talented players of all time, Woody. Oh, by, by far. And, and I think here's, here's what I believe. If he does play, and the more I'm listening to how this field's unfolding, I'm kind of going away from the fact that he's going to play. I'm like you, Taylor. I think what I wouldn't be a bit surprised is he says, yeah, I'm not going to play, and you won't see Phil Mickelson again on the PGA Tour until they make peace with each other. I think he will I think he will disappear and go play these uh, live tournaments and uh, – I hope that doesn't happen. He would be great for the championship tour. What little he plays there, he helps it a lot. But I think I think there's some really, really hard feelings here, guys, that we won't really know about. But 
I believe there is some serious bitterness right now going around. And it, like I said, this, this, nothing about this is good for the PGA Tour. Nothing. Now, win or lose, it's the way they've handled it is bad. Now, guys, I, I do think that Phil Mickelson, I, I think it's in his best interest to play, and I and the reason why is because I think it's in his best interest to face the music early in the week, do a press conference, face the music, go defend your championship, and don't make the PGA of America look bad. I think that he can do a lot of good things to help his uh, you know, good publicity um, or help his bad publicity that he's had recently by playing in this PGA. Do you agree? I, I, do think you make, I do think you make a good point there, Sam, absolutely, because he, he's going to have to face a lot at some point or another, and it's, you, you just get it done the faster you can, the better it is for everyone. And, and especially, I, I, especially I, T-Dub, with the book coming out this coming week, Alan Shipnuck with his book coming out, get, it, get out in front of that as well. Well, because like if, if you give that book time to sit and to rest, right, you're just going to build up more questions to have. And then, I mean, we've already having these questions, right? Okay, well, you've lost $40 million in the four years or whatever. I mean, what about the other how many ever years you've been alive? And, you know, there's just so many questions that are still going to keep coming his way. And if he is able to get out and address it, he's going to be able to beat the wave in some sense. But I, I think Woody's spot on in the sense of I don't know, because there's so much bad blood there, I, I don't know if Phil will ever make amends with the PGA Tour. So I don't know if we'll ever see him on the play a, official PGA Tour event again. I think we'll see him play the major championships because they're different affiliates. But just an official, actual PGA tournament, guys, I, I don't know if it'll ever happen again, as sad as it is to say. Yeah, we don't know if it is going to happen. But what we do know, guys, switching to a little bit more fun of a subject, is Joe Buck and Fred Couples will be doing a Manning cast-style broadcast during the PGA Championship. Does this interest you guys at all? I know we like to poke fun at uh, Joe Buck for his coverage um, of the U.S. Open back in the day, uh, you know, probably about eight years ago or so. Um, But what do you guys think about Joe Buck and Fred Couples? Yeah, the, the Joe Buck call, uh, I think it's uh, Chambers Bay, U.S. Yes. Open, is where I remember it. When really, Dustin I mean, Johnson just, three-putted and he goes, and Jordan Spieth is the U.S. Open champion. <laughs> it's, just, it's so like, you, you know that he never, he never called golf before and didn't know anything about it. So that slightly deteriorates a little bit. But, I mean, guys, does it get much better than Freddie? I mean, that's going to be some that's gonna be some good stuff there. And hopefully it's one of those deals to where, like, I think Peyton and he, like, talking about the main cast. You know, they're able to build off each other so much. Obviously, the brothers, and they do that. But, you know, they were both elite at their craft at the same thing, so they know what to bounce off each other. And that's the thing I'll be looking for, which is if they're able to mix well together. I mean, that was a serious call right there. <laughs> that, that was a Harley. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm once again in a bad place. And that's what I was going to tell you guys. I love what you're talking about there. And I agree with what you're saying. That's going to be really cool. That's going to be a that's gonna be a neat, neat situation for those guys in the commentary that's going to bring. I I think we we guys are getting ready to have some real fun in golf. And this normally the summer is kind of boring. Well, this one ain't going to be boring, is it? We're going to have a heck of a summer. And uh, with that, I I do have to leave you guys now because what you heard there was not a Harley. It was a Polaris. And (laughs) I am back out where I'm my second job of being a farmer. So I've got to go to work doing some other stuff. But as always, it's been a joy to be with you boys. And uh, 
Well, I look forward to next week. Golly, we've had a good show. We have major championship golf in Oklahoma next week, Woody. I can't yeah, wait. I can't get any better than that. I can't wait. But again, thank you, Woody, boys. You have I'm a great day. Let you close it out. All Absolutely, right, thank you guys. Thank you, Woody. You're the man. Bye. Great, great stuff from Woody right there. And, Taylor, before we get started on the Byron Nelson at TPC Craig Ranch, we do have to say go visit our friends at Ring Family Dentistry. I know them personally. Dr. Phil and Brennan Ring will get you tuned up uh, with your teeth. You know, you, you can have the Polaris of teeth, right, T-Dub? <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's good. It's the best stuff. Colby already mentioned that he's gotten on his dental plan, so he's about to go get his teeth checked. I might need to do it as well before uh, mine start rotting out. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but they do same-day uh, clear aligner orthodontics. Uh, all decisions are made by the patient. Go visit our friends at Ring Family Dentistry. Uh, I mentioned the Byron Nelson T-Dub at TPC Craig Birdies. Um, and uh, and, and T-Dub, <laughs> uh, I think we're going to have another Birdie Fest this week. Uh, what are your overall thoughts? And maybe give us a strength of field. Oh, yes. Let me get a strength of field pulled up here real quick. I'll, I'll go ahead and get my thoughts on the course. So last year, what we had, we had, I think we had five or six guys that got to 21 under or better. And that's, I mean, it's just crazy. I know we had a little bit of, of rain go on, but nevertheless, I mean, we got a lot of good players here just looking at the strength of field. Sam, I just got pulled up here. What do you think it is? Um, I'm going to go 400. Man, you, you, you guys are getting good at this. You're just barely off 390. Oh, I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty good. Stout. Hey, by That's the way, I, I failed to mention to our listeners that might wonder what's going on. I should have mentioned this uh, right after we had Bob Tway. Colby Powell is out on the course here at Karsten Creek at the Women's Regionals. He is going to follow uh, OSU. And so if you want to, uh, this podcast will probably come out this afternoon here uh, on Wednesday. But you can go back to Colby Powell's Twitter account uh, and find all of the great golf from the Oklahoma State ladies. But go ahead. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just Colby was itching to get out there. I mean, we were yeah, he was. With Bob. He's like, man, he's like, man, I gotta go. I gotta stay out these days. And good for him. I mean, I just want to go see Carson. I mean, it's just such a beautiful golf course. Absolutely. But uh, I mean, looking at the, you look at the strength of field, Sam. I mean, we got let me count this up. We got nine players in the top seventeen official world golf rankings playing. You don't see that very often the first week of a major. I think a lot of reason has to do with that was just the location of it. I mean, you know, you can't plan this out very far because it's going to be the first week of the PGA Championship anyway. But, you know, Dallas and Tulsa really aren't that far apart uh, mm-hmm. when, you, when it comes to travel time. So I think that's got to do it as well. You look at, you know, obviously Scheffler and Spieth are from Texas, so they're going to probably play that more often than not. And they're both top ten players in the world as well. You look at someone like Sam Burns, he played really well there last year, so he might as well go back and show it again. Dustin Johnson playing, which is, a slight shock, a shot play playing as well. One other reason I think, Sam, you got a lot of these good players playing is because the, the, the tournaments that we've had between the Masters and the PGA have been, you know, really unique. You know, we had the Mexico Open that mm-hmm. we talked about. We had the team championship, um, RBC, which is the week after the Masters. Uh, a lot of people didn't play in that. So I think that, you know, a lot, one of the reasons that people are doing this, I think it was, yeah, I think Kepka is one of the people, he hasn't played since the Masters where he missed the cut. So he's got to try to get some reps in somewhere. So I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing such a good field and it actually benefits i mean the dallas area not too far from us would love to see more golf go to that area absolutely and my best bet this week is that we will see a lot of birdies out at tpc craig ranch uh let's go ahead and dive into DraftKings lineups and taylor my first birdie maker that i will pick this week will be uh my winner of the golf tournament how about this oh very nice 
Matthew Wolf is my best bet of the week at 100 to 1. He's 7,200 on DraftKings. This guy can make some birdies. I'm sitting out here at Karsten Creek. Something just feels right about Matt Wolf this week. Hey, Sam, you were on him last week. He started to show some good form. And, you know, I think we're all rooting for him, right? In a sense, I think that, you know, a lot of times we get, obviously, the mental health is what we really want to get to work on. But just from a technical standpoint, I saw a lot of things at the start of the year that I didn't like with his golf swing. He's holding on to it pretty much, wasn't releasing the club, hitting everything way right. He, he's the type of swing to where he was hitting draws on the range and he hit fades when he got on the court. And so he didn't know how to control that. And I saw some things uh, last week that I, I thought were a little bit more technical. His swing looked a little more similar to back when he first came out on tour compared to where it was at the start of the year. So really hope that him and Nick are able to start getting it rolling. So Absolutely. I'm going to go. I'm going to go in the 7,300 range as my cheapest option. Kind of got a middle loaded mm-hmm. lineup here just Me because I, I don't like to go with the the big top names the week before a major. You never know. They might be looking ahead. So I go with the, the lower guys who may just be wanting to get that win anyway. So I'm going to go with Tom Hoagie, 7,300, Sam. I think the, his miscut at the RBC has distracted people from how good a golf he was playing before that. Um, the cut at the Masters as a first timer, uh, top 35 at the Players' Championship. So he's been playing some good golf. And he's a great iron player. So I think that the generous fairways at Craig Ranch is going to really come down to who can hit the best iron shot. Or if you're hitting it to the 15-foot range, you're able to make those putts. One of those two is going to end up winning the tournament. So Tom Hoagie, 7,300. Then, Sam, I've got, I've got three guys from 7,800 to 7,900 okay. here. So, once again, that middle loaded. So I'll go ahead and get my first 7,800 here. That's Maverick McNeely. I mean, going back, he has not missed a cut going all the way back to the Shriners back in October of a stroke play event. So really love what I'm seeing from Maverick McNeely. Data golf pretty high on him this week to the analytics. So like what I'm seeing for him. And uh, like I said, just kind of going with the iron play ball striking is going to really help get him around Greg Ranch, in my opinion. I totally agree um, with that pick. I like that pick, but I'm going 7,200 again and give me Charles Howell the third. I, I, I'm out here – Taylor, I'm wearing an orange shirt out at Karsten Creek, and I'm going with these OSU guys. But listen, I mean, it's not just a homer pick. Charles Howell III um, has a, you know, he finished 33rd in Mexico. He finished 4th at the Valero Texas Open, um, 32nd at the API, you know, top 25 at the American Express. He's had some really solid tournaments, um, and I think at 7,200, he's a little too low. I think he will make the cut at TPC Craig Ranch. Uh, and then I'm going to jump up to 7,500 and pick Bubba Watson. I think anytime I can get Bubba Watson at a place that there's going to be a bunch of birdies, um, I'm going to do it. And he's only 7,500 this week, and he's made three of five cuts so far this year. Give me Bubba Watson uh, the week before a major. I kind of like it. Yeah, I, I like Bubba as well. I'm a, I actually had him in my lineup to start out with, and then I had, I think, three or 400 cash up, so then I was able to tweak it. A little bit. So my other pick at 7,800, Sam, that's a guy that you were on, I think it was a couple weeks ago you were on, and that's Mark Leishman. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he played really well here last year, uh, has a really great game to see it for Kurt Grant. It's a beautiful fade out there. Always going to get the ball in play. So definitely like what I've seen from him. And he played well here last year. I'm trying to get last year's leaderboard pulled up, and I'm having a little bit of flow here. Let me see if I can find him real quick. Um, he finished 21st last year. No, it didn't play very well in the last round when it was raining. So, really like uh, Mark Leishman this week. And then, going up to my 7,900 pick that I teased earlier, kind of on the OSU train, you're just talking about Sam, get a little Carson. Give me Alex, Alexander Norris, 7,900. I, I really like what I'm seeing from him. He also finished 21st here last year, the exact same as uh, as Mark Leishman. And he's just playing some good golf, Sam. I mean, we've, uh, we've talked about it numerous times. He also has not missed a cut going all the way back to, I believe, the RSM last year where, where Gooch won. So, uh, 
really love me some uh, Alex Norton. I, I don't know, Sam. I'm getting a little bit of weird vibes because we already have too many Cowboys in our lineup. I know. Uh, you know, I'm probably done. No, I'm not. I'm going to go another Cowboy. <laughs> Give me Taylor Gooch at 8,600, T-Dub. 12 of 15 made cuts, four top tens, and a win so far this year. 21st at the Zurich. Obviously, that was the team event. That was last time we saw Taylor. 14th at the Masters, 18th at the match play, and 7th at the API. But I'm not going to pick him in the one and done, even though I can pick him in the one and done. I haven't picked him yet so far this year um, because I don't want him to win this week because I want him to have a chance. Law of averages, we always talk about it, T-Dub. I want him to have a chance at Southern, and normally the guy that wins the week before doesn't win a major. So I'm not going to pick him and curse him in the one and done, uh, but I am going to pick him on DraftKings at 8,600. I love T-Gooch this week, Sam. I was just going to say, I believe it was uh, the second or third to last time we had him on your show for last year's one and done. Because it was the week after he was on Riviera, and I was bragging about how I picked him there to get finished. So Colby asked him, hey, where at the rest of the season should I pick you at? And T. Gooch told, him, told Colby to right. pick Greg Ranch. So, I forgot about so, that. So, I mean, and I believe he said uh, I believe he said he got married there, I believe, or he had some sort of He had a bachelor party I, there, and they kicked him off the course. That's what it was, yeah. So he's uh, he's got some good and some bad memories there, but a lot of memories as well. So really love T. Goose this week. What if you can get him for a top <laughs> if, 10, top 15 bet? I'm asking the money. If you haven't listened to that podcast, he didn't get kicked off the course for doing anything crazy. They they just had too many guys in the group. I don't want I don't want any rumors swirling around about Taylor. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we yeah, no, we weren't doing it. They weren't doing anything too bad. They were just trying to play with like 18 people. I mean, yeah. it was. And apparently, they uh, they frowned upon that. Even though he was having his wedding there, you think he'd be able to get to do a few more things that the average person. Absolutely. Um, And then I will go with a Texas guy now, um, a guy that is from Texas, in Will Zalatoris at 9,400 T-Dub. Anytime uh, that a tournament is in the Dallas area, I like Will Zalatoris and those Dallas guys. Nine of 11 made cuts so far this year, three top tens. One of the best ball strikers on tour. Um, If he can put the ball, you know, within, (laughs) within a general vicinity of the hole, he'll have a chance to make a lot of birdies. Yeah, I mean, Zalatoris last year finished uh, 17, shot 16 under, kind of on that, that little mini run he was on last year. And I don't know, Sam, it's probably looking good for you because I had Zalatoris in my lineup as well, and I switched him for this gentleman right here, guy who finished second here last year, and I think he's going to have a probably top five finish this week. That's the guy, Sam Burns. I mean, top mm-hmm. ten player in the world, uh, won at the Valspar, had a good uh, finish with uh, with Billy Horschel at the Zurich. So really like what I've seen for Sam Burns. I've seen a couple times in the team event, he was kind of hitting a little offline, but um, I think that just had to do with the format and just trying to get it way down there. So as long as he's able to keep it somewhat on the map with the Genesis fairways, really like Sam Burns this week. And then going all the way up from 9,500 to 9,700, I think this is the feel of the tournament, Sam. I, I talk about looking a little bit ahead and, and potentially doing that, but I think this is a gentleman who might not be looking too far ahead because he's notorious for not winning. So being able to get another win under his belt gives him momentum going into Southern that's Xander Shoffley. I mean, I loved what yep. I saw from him and Cantlay at um, at the Zurich, and I, I think that Cantlay was probably the better of the two that week. But but Shoffley definitely had his moment and was definitely playing a lot better than he was at the Masters when he only had one birdie in two rounds. And then you know, going back, Shoffley finished twelfth at the Valspar as well in thirteenth, so going all the way back to Genesis. So really hasn't played a whole lot this year, Stan. But he also finished third in the Waste Management. When he has played, played pretty good. So the fact that I got Shoffley at 9,700, I think that's the steal of the term. I like that Shoffley pick. It almost makes me want to change my pick, but this is the guy 
that I put in my DraftKings lineup first. You hear Byron Nelson, and you got to put in Jordan Spieth, right? I mean, 8 of 11 made cuts so far this year, playing okay uh, as far as Jordan Spieth standards go. But any time a tournament, like I said, is in the Dallas area, I'm going to put Jordan Spieth in my lineup, right, T-Dub? Uh, I, I almost did as well. So one trend I'm getting here, Sam, is you got a lot of guys in your lineup that I thought about putting in mine or did have at one point. <laughs> so so, so us- either so it's going to work out. One of us is going to work out really well in this. <laughs> I tend to agree. And Jordan Spieth is at 10,100 on DraftKings at TPC Craig Ranch this week. It should be a fun week. But, T-Dub, we have major championship golf in Oklahoma next week. How crazy is that? I mean, I mean, Sam, it happens, what, once a decade? If yep. that, I mean, you know, we're going back to 2007, 2001. Before that, so we had a six-year gap or whatever. So, yeah. Once a decade, we get this opportunity, and I, I expect the crowds at Southern to be absolutely crazy. I mean, we're we're already we're ninety nine point nine 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 percent confirmed. Tiger is going to play, if not a hundred percent. Good chance that Phil plays as well. If Phil's able to play, it's going to be the most electric crowd golf has seen maybe since the Ryder Cup. So, really, really looking forward to what Tulsa and everyone around the area is able to bring to the tournament. And I think it's going to really highlight how great of a course Southern Hills is. It doesn't get talked about near as much as it should, and I think it's going to start getting the uh, the credit that it deserves nationally after this event. T-Dub, I was reading on Twitter, and I think we found our new bet, right? You know, we always bet pizzas, and, and you know, that's all well and good. But I saw this week one of the funniest bets, wagers that I've ever seen. This guy fulfills his fantasy football wager by entering the U.S. Open local qualifier and shooting a 112. Oh, I saw this. Do you think? Wow. His name is John Eckert, um, and his fantasy football uh, you know, group text and, uh, and, and league made him qualify for the U.S. Open, and he shot a 112 because he finished in last place of his fantasy league. Do you think that me, you, and Colby should do a fantasy league next year, just <laughs> us three somehow, um, and whoever loses has to qualify for the U.S. Open? <laughs> that, you know, for us, it wouldn't be as, as bad as that because, you know, I'm so torn on that, Sam, because he started 112 the way he said he did, and, you know, it's, he had to play with other people. So he, I mean, if you play with anyone who's playing that bad, I mean, the shots, the chance of you playing extremely well are almost dwindled to none when you're having to deal with the 112, but at the same time, I like the fact that you're giving money to the USGA, you're giving money to the to the course, you're giving money to <laughs> that, help grow hey, the game. I, I didn't tip. even I didn't even think about that. That is true. That does suck if you had to play with them. Uh, that's not very cool. So I, I think that my, the thing that I would say about it is like if you're going to do that, somehow talk to USGA and say, hey, there's literally no chance in hell that I'm going to qualify. I'm going to literally embarrass myself, but I lost a bet. I'm going to give you guys money to play the course. Will you just put me in the last group so I don't hold anyone up? And then I think everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, Because you right. can't put them out first because then everyone's going to be held up. So I think that you have to put them by themselves and in a situation where it doesn't hinder anyone else. But at the same time, I don't want to tell people to not play in local qualifying because it just gives more money and it helps grow the game. So I don't know, Sam. Somewhere in between those two, is where I think we should uh, stand on our fantasy football bet going forward. Absolutely. And then we had a local qualifier from Bloomington, Iowa, whose name was Happy Gilmore. That has to be a nickname, right? Has to be. I mean, it has to be. (laughs) What is going on in local qualifying so far this year? (laughs) I mean, if it's not a nickname, then we know what uh, what the parents were watching whenever uh, old Happy was 16. You're absolutely right on that, T-Dub. Now, T-Dub, I forgot. 
we got to give give out your one and done pick. I gave out mine and Matt Wolf, um, but I forgot to ask you for yours. Who who are you going with this week? Oh, that's right. Yeah, you are going with Matt Wolf. I forgot about that. Your, your very first pick, the winner of your term, Matt Wolf, and, and that might end up being a hell of a pick when it's said and done. I'm going to go with Aaron Wise as my pick. Last time he played down in Mexico, he finished sixth, had a really great uh, final round, sixty four. I always love when players play really good in the final round because that's you know, you know they're carrying um, carrying some really great golf into the next event. And he finished 21st at the RBC Heritage. So, two top 21 finishes since the Masters. So, really love Aaron Wise this week. Wouldn't be surprised if he had a, a top 10 finish or potentially even hoisting the trophy on Sunday afternoon. Absolutely, T-Dub. And we'll wrap up the show. Um, this is the last show we'll do before it is PGA Championship week. And, by the way, we're going to have – you know, wall-to-wall coverage of the PGA Championship. We'll be doing podcasts pretty much every night. We'll have, you know, radios, our normal radio shows. If you, if you live in the Oklahoma City area um, or the Tulsa area, we'll have that on 98.1 FM, the sports animal, um, you know, like we did for the, for the Masters with Craig Humphreys, with Taylor, with Colby. We'll have all sorts of coverage for you uh, up at Southern Hills. Um, but just give me a little bit, um, Taylor, on, on your thoughts, you know, heading into next week. I mean, it's, it's, it's just going to be so exhilarating. The fact that the fact that Tiger got in a car wreck, how many ever months ago it was now, thought that he might have to amputate his leg, and all of a sudden we're getting to see him. I didn't think there was a chance in hell that was going to happen. So that was going to be by far the, uh, the biggest thrill of that week because who knows? We don't know when Southern Hills is going to get another major coming up. They currently, uh, everyone's made out the 2030 bid. Well, they currently don't have that anymore because of the 2022 bid. So hopefully they are able to get that um, back. But right now they don't. So who knows when we'll get another major in this area. So Tiger and, and Phil, who might play, might not. We might not get to see them again in this area. So it's something that if you are going to turn out, they just relish in the opportunity. Because Tiger's the greatest golfer to ever play the game and may be the greatest to ever do it in the past, present, and future of it. So relishing that opportunity, even if he's 95 out there, Sam, he's going to make it look good, and it's going to be so, so beautiful to watch. Absolutely, and if you're going to go out there, hopefully you have a ticket for Tuesday through Friday because you'll be able to see all the golfers, especially Tiger, because if he ends up missing the cut, that's a shame if you, you know, bought tickets for Saturday and Sunday and and weren't able to see Tiger. Um, But, by the way, pro tip on watching Tiger – Think two holes ahead. Watching normal golf, you think yeah. a couple shots ahead so you can get a little closer. With Tiger, think a couple holes ahead and where he might hit a shot or or maybe try to find a nice spot by a green or a tee box uh, to watch Tiger. Um, or or just, you know, trek it. You know, try to find a spot to watch all, all uh, 18 holes that Tiger plays. I, I am definitely going to go out uh, and watch all 18 if I can, uh, depending on the tee times and my schedule to try to watch Tiger Woods play some golf next week. Right, T-Dub? Yeah, I think the question you have to ask in that situation is, because I, I, I agree with your philosophy, I think maybe even three holes yeah. with how crazy the crowd's going to be. As Tulsa, I think that's probably the way to go. So the question you have to ask yourself as a viewer is, do you want to watch every shot at, you know, kind of a half-assed view more than likely, or yep. do you want three or four opportunities to have, like, right next to you to him, you know, if you plan that far ahead? So yeah, that's and the you question. could do a little bit yeah, of both, I guess. You, you, you could do a yeah, little bit yeah. of both. Um, most exactly. most of the I mean, most of the shots you'll see Tiger hitting, uh, you will not be very close just because of the crowds. <laughs> that's very good. And then the question you have to ask yourself is: Do you want to watch him swing, hit a drive? Do you want to watch him hit an iron shot? That's kind of harder to do because unless you go to a par three, you don't know what side of the fairway is going to be on. Or do you want to watch him around the greens and chip? Then 
you can even go as far as, well, okay, well, this is a fairly hard hole, you know, so like maybe 15 or something like that. So you know that, well, then more than likely you might have to chip on this hole. So then you might be able to watch them chip and putt. You know, that's kind of next level scouting at that point. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you're going to need, you're going to have to need that next level scouting if you're going to watch Tiger this week because, you know, Sam, we're not the only uh, two people in the state of Oklahoma wanting to do what we're talking and we'll finish up the show on this. Other than Tiger and Phil, let's say, if he plays, who are you most excited to go watch in person? Uh, I'm, I'm excited to watch Rory, in all honesty. Um, I haven't gotten to watch him play in person before, so I'm really excited for that. Um, everyone talks about just how high he can hit the driver, and that's something I'm going to be really interested to see. I'm, I want to see more of I want to see, essentially, the, the best at their craft that they say, you know, Morikawa with the dri- uh, with the irons, you know, DJ Rory with the driver. I want to watch those guys, and I want to watch them do that because I want to see what the best of the best actually looks like. And then, Sam, you know, one other scouting tip I'll say is, you know, go watch these guys on the range. Go set yes. up there for an hour or two and just watch these guys come through or go set up at the chipping green or the putting green, depending on how close uh, they have the rope. It's going to be exhilarating. I honestly probably, Sam, prefer to watch range, range that kind of thing as opposed to if it's going to be a busier crowd, like Tiger particularly. And, but, but Tiger's kind of exception because his range is going to be ridiculous. But, you know, get out on the range. You can see him hit multiple shots back to back to back. And I think you get you can soak in a lot more of what's actually going on besides, you know, just walking out with him on the course, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And we'd be remiss if we didn't say that the golf is just a bonus. If you haven't seen Southern Hills yet, do yourself a favor and walk all 18 holes and see all the great changes they've made out there as well. It's like the Garden of Eden, Sam. I mean, it's just so <laughs> manicured, so perfect. And, I, I mean, just the, the – and this is going to get lost because we've had such a better winner than last year. But the, the grace of God miracle that happened last year for them to get the course like yes. that is just truly unbelievable and shows the talent and prestige that that place had. So, I think it's going to be in even better shape this year if that was possible. And it's just going to be – it's going to be so great. And just being able to soak in the fresh air from the perfectly manicured grass is going to be something you can't replicate anywhere else. T-Dub, I am looking at a weather forecast for next week, and we only have it through next Friday. But it, on Thursday and Friday of next week, it just gives me the little wind symbol. I hope that it gets pretty oh, windy out there. That's, I mean, you know, the craziest stat I, I've heard of all time, Shane, I want to mention this before we get out of here. Terry Cosby, he was on, um, he was on Golf Today yesterday, and I, I hope I'm not getting this number wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm correct on this. Southern Hills has hosted seven major championships, and there's been 31 players total to shoot under par in the event. That's just wow, really? That's a crazy stat. And and that makes sense. I didn't go back and I didn't fact check it, but I mean, that's got to be some of that trust and and everything. I feel very cocky. So it's truly unbelievable. And if that wins six up, Sam, we're going to be looking at more U.S. Open type setup than we are traditional PGA, which, in my opinion, sets up for more of what Southern Hills and Perry Maxwell intended the course to be. Absolutely, and I think that the PGA of America has set up the PGA better than the USGA has set up the U.S. Open in recent years. Um, but, T-Dub, we got to get out of here. Thank you so much, not only to Colby Powell for everything that he does for the podcast and Woody and yourself, but big, big thank you again to Bob Tway for joining the show today. This has been Sam Humphreys here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.